It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Now, here's your host, Casey Hendrickson. Wise Money deserves wise legal counsel. Powered by Ledoux, Curran, and Keene. On the web at lck-law.com. Good morning, everybody. I want to thank you for tuning in to Wise Money with Corn Financial Group. Once again, I am Casey Hendrickson, your host, but this is, uh, of course, anchored by the three guys from uh, Corn Financial Group. We've got Kevin Corhart, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory joining us today. Another great show lined up, because we have to tell you that, otherwise you wouldn't think it was. We're going to be talking about one of life's biggest transitions, though, and this is actually a really big topic. And, you know, this is about getting married. Man, your whole world changes when you get married, but there's some obvious things, maybe not so obvious things that impact your life financially. In the second half of the show, we are going to be getting to listener questions. We're going to be covering things like Roth IRA, savings accounts, and a lot more. As always, you can submit your questions by calling us at 574-222-2000, leave your question on the voicemail, or you can get information about the show and even submit a question online by going to wisemoneyradio.com. So getting married. One of the biggest decisions that people will make in their entire lives, whether it's the first time or the eighth time. And it obviously impacts your finances tremendously and a little bit different depending on how many spouses you're into this thing. But Josh, tell us why this is a big enough issue that we're talking about it on this week's show. Well, our listeners over uh, past weeks, you've heard us talking about transition points in life. And I'm talking about those events where your, your life changes direction fundamentally. There's a shift. And you know, all of a sudden your planning and your priorities, the objectives you have are different in this new chapter of life. And uh, for most people, getting married is one of the, the big ones. You know, of, of the top seven that I can think of, I, I consider it a, a real major one because it, by definition, is unlike any of the others because you're going from one opinion in your financial life one set of priorities and goals, objectives, and uh, and whatnot, to now there's a second person. There's more people to be thinking of as you're, you're planning for the future, more opinions to consider. And um, Wait a minute. Know, hold on. Hold on a second. Yeah. More there's opinions. More, there's more than consider. one opinion in a marriage? I thought it just shifted from my opinion to hers. <laughs> uh, good point. Good point. Josh, what are those? some of those other... Uh, transitions. Do you just want to shout shout out a couple of the well, other ones? It, I mean, if, if you think back on your life as you're transitioning from the preparation stage, if you will, you know, college for most people, uh, high school into your working career, that's a transition. It's different, a, a different stage of life going from being single to married or from married without kids to having kids. It's a totally different deal. When you transition into uh, the college years for your own kids, that's another uh, important one. And then, you know, the one that we've often talked about is the transition from your working career to retirement. The hardest one for most people, because it's difficult to prepare for, is transitioning from two spouses to one, whether that's because you lost your spouse or a divorce or something like that. Obviously, today's topic's, uh, you know, a little bit more uplifting. Uh, You know, the, the wedding season is ahead of us, and it's a fun time. But if you don't plan ahead, the, the risk is that during those transitions, you make mistakes or you have conflict that's unnecessary. So I've, I've known Josh for a long time, and I know the show here is called Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, but Josh is truly wise. And I've heard him share something that I just thought of as, as he talked about, you know, one of the challenges with getting married is now you've got two opinions instead of one. And Josh has talked to me a lot about this concept 
called your money view and just naturally how you view money. And when you go from, hey, you're just calling the shots to now you're married, now there's two money views approaching the financial decisions and they could clash and create some pretty significant fireworks, make for a lot of drama, not in a good way. And, and I think that's worth pointing out here that just naturally coming together and getting, getting married with your finances can bring some very different opposing opinions depending on how you view money inherently. And those can come from two spouses that are very much on the same page in other areas of their life. They may have the same worldview, have the same faith and everything, but they've been raised differently with money. They have different beliefs, different attitudes, different assumptions. And because of that, they make different decisions. And it's hard to reconcile two opposing money views at times, but that's what marriage is all about, right? It's coming together and having unity in areas that maybe don't feel natural. And that conflict really isn't just, for those of you who are you know, maybe just entering this for the first time, that conflict isn't necessarily something that's going to last. The moment you move into it to each other, with each other, and then six months to a year later, everything's good. You always have that conflict. It's always going to show up. You'll get better at it, but it's always going to show up, and you're always going to have differing opinions on how money should be used, and somebody's going to use money in the way that somebody else doesn't like. And so you'll always have those. So just be prepared for that and know that that's normal. All right, so when people first get engaged, money may not necessarily be the first thing that they think about, but Kevin, when do you suggest that a couple actually start discussing their finances and when, you know, when are they just dating or when they get engaged, before, after, that sort of thing, or should they wait till they get married? Well, I think for sure during the engagement process, because the engagement process is when you get to um, decide whether this is really the thing that I'm going to do or not. And we've already touched on some of this, um, we, you know, the, your money view or your approach toward money. That's that's the time that it's important to be transparent and say, this is how I see money. And, and uh, with your fiance, how do they see money? What kind of financial uh, baggage am I going to bring to this marriage? And do I want to sign up to take this person as my wife or my husband, and accept their bar- their baggage. I mean, marriage marriage really is about figuring out how to serve one someone other than yourself. Hmm. And so, when you think about your finances, you think, "Am I willing to lay down my life and serve this person in the area of finances?" Because it's a lot simpler if it's just you. And and the thing is, I would just give this point as well. If you are at this moment single. And there's no one on the horizon or you're not serious with anyone. I would encourage you to work with reckless abandon to just improve your financial house, whatever that means, whatever area needs improvement. I would work on improving that because you never know when the, when Mr. or Mrs. Wright is going to enter your life and you will not regret being excellent in your approach to getting your financial house in order. Your financial habits and your financial history gets married with you. And so making good choices now, if you're single, is only going to help you and build those right habits between, you know, where you're at now and when you get, when you get married. I had a client this, uh, last summer who, who got married and, um, he was real, you know, frugal, very financially savvy, very responsible. And he married a woman who was even more savvy, more, financially secure and everything. 
And the, the opportunities and the choices that they're going to have in life are unlike any of their peers. You know, a lot of times you can find a spouse who's really solid financially. The other one has never given it much thought or has made some mistakes along the way. But to find two that have done exactly what you just said, Kevin, they planned ahead during their single years and they're coming together. Um, you know, one of their goals is for uh, the the wife to be at home with the kids when uh, they, they start having kids if, if they do. And that, that seems really old fashioned, mostly because uh, the vast majority of people just can't pull it off. They didn't do the early work before they got married to to make it even an option. You know, I've seen actually that same scenario, but with different, you know, the opposites where you have one that was pretty good financially and then one that was not came into the marriage with a lot of debt happened to be the wife this time. It doesn't always work out that way, but she brought a lot of debt into the marriage, wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, became a stay-at-home mom. Well, he had to pay all of her bills. So all of that debt that carried over, he had to pay all of that bills, which he happily did, but eventually got to the point where they were stressed, they were financially stressed, and they fought, and they eventually got a divorce mm, um, because sad. of that. You know, she wasn't happy with the lifestyle that he was able to provide. He was bitter because he was not able to provide that lifestyle because he was paying her debt. Mm. Um, and so you ha- these are things you have to think about, and a lot of people don't think about it because they get caught up in the romance of being engaged and loving somebody. It can come back to bite you and can really cause a lot of trauma in your life. See, I would add to that as well. Part of the reason uh, for the the conflict that you just described in that situation is when they were transitioning from being just a married couple to now having kids and wanting a complete and total lifestyle change, had they done the work of getting the debt wiped out ahead of time, maybe it would have been possible. So this this idea of life transitions and and looking down the road, what are the things that are going to be changing in the future? I want to know what could you be doing today to make that transition point a smoother one. And one of the things we're going to talk about next, because this comes up all the time, do we blend our bank accounts? Do we all have the same bank account? Do we each keep our separate bank account? Does that mean that somebody's hiding money from us and is preparing to split, that sort of thing? So we'll talk about that coming up on Wise Money with Corin Financial Group. Once again, you're listening to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Good morning, everybody. Once again, I want to thank you for tuning in to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. I'm Casey Hendrickson, Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory joining me here. And we are talking about the financial changes in your life when you get married. Now, one of the things that you have to consider is whether or not you're going to blend your finances. Do you maintain separate bank accounts? Do you merge everything together? and have one account. Of course, we talked about having multiple accounts being beneficial in the past, but those are usually when everybody has access to them. So what's your guys' opinion on whether or not, you know, blending finances or keeping separate accounts, does that really make a difference? I I have seen it make a difference. Now, I've served folks and gotten to see all real details of their financial life where they've kept them separate and it works for them. And I've seen folks, of course, that have them together and it works for them. But on average, I would say it works better best for folks to have them together. And this goes back to a principle that Kevin first explained to me 15 years ago when I was getting into this business and that, you know, it, when you're in a marriage, think think of your financial life as you guys pulling this sled, all right? And we've used the mountain analogy uh, on this show a few times. So let's pretend your financial life, you're trying to pull this sled up a mountain and back down. 
if both spouses are pulling on the front and they're both going in the same direction, it's extremely powerful. But if you have separate bank accounts and you don't really clear see, see clearly what the other person's doing, you might start drifting off and start pulling to the side. And your spouse may notice that. And so they say, well, I, if he's going to buy that, then I'm going to buy this. And they start pulling to the side. Pretty soon, you're not pulling that sled forward. You're pulling in opposite directions, actually fighting with each other instead of pulling that uphill. And if you're just getting ready to get married for the first time, go to your friends or your family that have been married and go, how long did it take you to stop referring to it as your money? Yeah, right. <laughs> because I think we've all had that fight. It's not your money, sweetheart. It's, it's our money, money now. And but it takes a while for that to happen, right? So it does. Uh, and and if you have separate bank accounts, I think what Mike is saying is that you tend to hold on to that a little bit longer than you might if you're pulling your resources into joint accounts. What yeah, do you guys think? I, I, I would add to that as well. Uh, Kevin, you want to go first, or uh, you first? Oh, thanks. Well, you know this this whole idea of marriage. I mean, we we're, we're three guys. I'll throw you in there too, Casey. Four guys who don't have perfect marriages. Three and right? a half. Three and a half. I'll throw you in there, Casey. I guess you're included. <laughs> the, the point here, though, is we don't have perfect marriages, but we do value our marriages. And, yes. you know, to me, when a marriage is working well, the, the way it was designed, the purpose of it, it's to bring unity at a level that you don't have with any other relationship. And to me, I, I pay attention to marriages where there's intentional separation kept. Because I, I think to myself, well, is that really, are, are you living up to the full picture of what your marriage could be if you're just kind of keeping his and hers and you each have kind of your areas where you don't have to be accountable to each other, you can have your little secrets or whatever. Um, I, I am a fan personally of finding ways to bring um, the consolidation of your financial life, not not just because it could help you achieve your goals better and it can make uh, good financial sense, but just emotionally or relationally, it's an important thing to just keep finding ways to connect because there's so many things in this world that are going to be tearing you apart. We'll pull you apart. Don't, don't intentionally put a separator in between the two of you. Yeah, when you think about financial planning, you look for reasons. As we, as we sit down with folks and we say, okay, what is the reason? If I was going to keep my bank accounts separate, why would I do it? And when you think about marriage, you think it's this mystery of two becoming one and this idea of intimacy and this closeness. And you say, well, if I keep separate bank accounts, does that move me closer in that direction or does that take me further away? So if you say, no, 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 we want to keep separate bank accounts, I would say, well, great. Give me the, give me the great financial reason to keep separate bank accounts. Because I've seen it before. And a lot of times, it, it, what does that spring out of? It springs out of someone who's been burned before by someone else. And so they're hesitant to combine them. It sometimes comes out of a, and our job isn't to make value judgments, but it comes out of a, a selfishness. Hey, I, it's my money. I want to have charge of this. I want to determine how it gets spent. So I'm not really... I'm not really good at sharing. I'm not good at playing well with others. So I need to have the freedom uh, because of my own selfishness. So I say, well, then we're, we're defeating the purpose of marriage, which is really to die to yourself and to serve your spouse. 
I've actually seen this being taught in uh, some collegiate courses too in, in social studies that, oh no, you keep your own bank account so you can be independent. You're not reliant or dependent upon somebody else. And, and so there could be a philosophical shift in society towards that as well. And, and I think all four of us are kind of in disagreement with that. Oh, what a shame. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yep. All right, so Josh, what's the first area of their finances that people should probably take a look at when they're getting married? You know, I, I think I would say that understanding that future spouse's decision-making process would be really important. Kevin described the engagement process. You didn't use this phrase, but I was almost thinking of the old-fashioned phrase, the courting process or whatever, where, you know, you're you're going through this, this time frame of understanding each other, making sure that this really is a commitment that you're ready to make and, and actually get married. Well, during that phase, a, a lot of people would recommend that you're going through some sort of premarital counseling to, um, to talk through and understand those money views that Mike was uh, referring to. But to me, how someone sets their priorities, how they make plans for the future, you know, are they an impulse buyer? Do they really analyze every purchase and make a wise choice each time? Uh, understanding what their, their appetite for risk is or, or debt. Um, you know, even, even the decision on what's an adequate amount of cash reserves to hold um, on hand. Um, you know, these are all decisions or, or it's a process for making decisions that you need to understand how that future spouse operates. See, I think uh, having a financial advisor, having a financial coach would help help bring that out in a, in a couple of, but listening to you, those are all really important, but I think naturally it'd be hard if you weren't seeing a counselor or didn't have a, a premarital counselor or didn't have a financial advisor, it'd be hard for those things to naturally come up. What I think does come up pretty naturally is how much income do you have? How much money's in the bank and how much debt do you owe? So and everybody just get their chips on the get, table. And get your chips on the table. And I would, if you're listening right now and you're about to get married or maybe maybe haven't aired all your chips, do it. Do it now. I, I have had, and I'm sure you guys have had too, uh, financial planning meetings where we're talking about really important goals. And then finally, one of the spouses says, hey, I got a confession. Yeah. I, I've got this $15,000 on this credit card that I never told you about. And just air it out. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Swallow your pride and air it out so that you guys can go into your financial life with a full view of what's going on and can take appropriate steps to. And I, I want to go back to something, not to disagree with your earlier comment about how it could be hard to, um, to understand someone else's decision making. If you're engaged and you are approaching some big financial decision, that's an opportunity to do it together, the decision making. Yep. That's how you can show your other, you know, this uh, upcoming spouse, your, your future spouse, how you think about finances and how you can understand their decision making process as well. So, um, especially if they're decisions that are going to have consequences after uh, the marriage is, is already started. You know, after the wedding, um, decisions on what car you're going to buy or uh, how much you're going to take out of your cash reserves to pay down debt. And these are these are all important decisions that you want to involve that, uh, well, your, your fiancé with, I guess, um, at the time that you're going through it. And uh, that, that actually might end up being the wedding and the honeymoon planning itself yeah. sometimes. Yeah, a absolutely. lot of people choose to bow out, oh, make her happy, let her do whatever, but that's a huge financial expense. That's a that's a huge one, and I would say if you're not married and you're and you're not involved right now, but you're shopping 
I'd say look for someone who is good at delayed gratification. And if you're wondering, you know, Casey shared the the circumstance where friends of his got married, had children, and divorced. And I say, well, a, a great test is to see what people are willing to do as it comes to the wedding. Am I willing to live within my means as it comes to the wedding, or am I going to spend well beyond my means mm. for a certain appearance or that's because everyone else is doing it or fill in the blank. And I think if you're if you're a noticer and, and you're careful and you're not ruled by your desires, uh, and sometimes when you're in love or lust, that can happen. But I think if you're careful, you can see things that uh, should be cues as to what you should or should not be uh, doing in the relationship. And coming up, we're going to talk about cash flow and tax planning as it relates to your marriage and a couple of other things. So stay tuned. You're listening to Wise Money with Corn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson, Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory joining me today. Don't forget, you can leave your financial planning questions for us if you'd like us to address it in the future at 574-222-2000. Leave it on the voicemail. You can also go to wisemoneyradio.com and submit your question right there on the website. You can also listen to previous podcasts of the show as well. So we're talking about how your financial life changes when you get married. So Kevin, uh, bank accounts obviously change, but so does cash flow. So what specifically should people be focused on in that area? Well, Casey, when you're grooming your financial life for marriage, one thing that I would encourage people to do is just to take a look at when the the current and, and what's happening now and with two different budgets, and what does a combined budget look like? Because if you do it right, a combined budget, there should be some savings where now instead of having two rent payments and two electric bills and two cable bills, et cetera, et cetera, now I've got only one. And I would look at that and say, hey, what, what are the, where are the savings that I can capture? And maybe some expenses that I'll have once I get married that I didn't have while I was single. And I would, I would look at those and I would make a plan for them. One habit, I actually heard this from a pastor out of Atlanta. One of the, he leads one of the largest churches in America, Andy Stanley. He did a five-week series on having balance in your financial life. I loved it. I downloaded it. It was, it was great stuff. But he talked about when he first got married, he and his wife inherently spent less than what they made. And as a pastor, that's pretty difficult to do sometimes. But they just collected and kept every receipt for three months. That's it. And after that three months, they went to uh, his dad, had a cottage. They went to the cottage, turned over that shoebox, dumped out all those receipts, and tallied up what their actual lifestyle was together. And they did all that math and looked at it and said, does this fit or not? What do we need to adjust? How, what are our goals? And so on. And, and so that's just an idea as you consider what Kevin talked about and about bringing those two budgets together into one. Some people might be thinking right now, I'm terrible with receipts. 
A lot of good mobile apps have uh, been coming out this past right. year right. to capture those receipts, and then you can throw them away. You don't have to worry as much. I mean, Andy Stanley is a little bit older now, so that was maybe <laughs> a couple decades ago, where you don't need to hold on to every receipt today. Uh, we actually have some tools. There are a lot of free tools out there that categorize your spending for you. All of our clients have a tool. I use that personally. And you just use your debit card, and it categorizes your expenses, and so a lot of that work is, you know, you don't need to do that anymore. Well, we also, uh, we're talking about the combination, not just of cash flow and budgets, but bank accounts. And that's a, a real practical question that I often get when people are getting married. How many banking relationships does a, a newlywed couple really need? Uh, I, I mentioned earlier on the show, a young couple that got married last summer and Coming into the marriage, they each had two banks, so a combined total of four. And I recommended that they get it down to two. And it was hard for them to choose because each of the banks had some great reason why they used it. But uh, if you get it down to two, then um, one bank could be used for your day-to-day uh, spending, you know, your normal budgeting. And maybe the, the second bank could be where you place uh, things like your emergency fund the money that you want to get out of sight, out of mind, forget that it's there, set it aside for the rainy day and hope that you never have to touch touch it at all. You need to build your three bank account system. I know we're going to transition, but as you're getting married and establishing habits, build your three bank account system and get started on that. If you don't know what that is, give us a call. And we've done it in a previous show as we well. Have. You can be you can look that up, but uh, yeah, definitely give them a call over at Corhorn Financial Group, corhorn.com with a K. That's corhorn.com. You can also uh, find them that way. So Mike, obviously your taxes change quite a bit when you get married. Most people don't realize that until they do their taxes for the first time as a married couple and they realize how dramatically different it really is. So kind of talk about tax planning and what should people be aware of when they get married? Oh, tax planning. Because a lot of times people get married and they join their finances, do that first tax return and say, oh, this is awesome. We just got a big refund, bigger refund. Because tax bracket, what they don't know is tax brackets got a little bit bigger on a joint return, and maybe you're now uh, withholding too much because you were withholding at a single rate and all of that. Reality, the reality is you should be proactive about your tax situation. You might be uh, now, you might have available to you more credits or more deductions than you had before filing a single return, and that may, maybe that should influence some of the decisions you make. Think about it this way. What if one of the spouses was contributing to their retirement plan on a pre-tax basis because they were in the 25% tax bracket? Now that they're married, maybe they're only in the 15% tax bracket. Should they shift that from creating that deduction and shift it over to a Roth now that they're married and they're in a different tax bracket? Instead of just thinking, oh, great, you know, I just got a bigger refund, it's a reason to, to you know, Pause and think, okay, have situation has my situation changed enough where I should be making different decisions? Things are going to be dramatically different with your taxes when yeah. you get married. Yeah, very, you, very different. When you've got two folks that are getting married, one folk, one, one of the, uh, the spouses may have been itemizing, one may not have been. So now as a, as a combined uh, household, you may need to track your records a little differently. You may need to keep those receipts when you drop stuff off at Goodwill now because you're able to itemize as a couple. So what I would recommend is 
set an appointment up with your CPA or your tax preparer, and as we've said before, or give us a call and sit down with us and talk about, let's talk about, okay, here are your individual tax situations. Now when you get married, here's how that's going to look. I just had, I mentioned this on the previous show, I just had a client of mine who I've been serving for about five years. He got married for the first time later in life, but they got married this year. And before they got married, they came in to see me. And one of the things that we were talking about was taxes. She has a couple kids from a prior marriage and was getting something called the earned income credit and was actually getting a significant refund, but not even refund. She was just getting money from the government because of this. And he uh, was not. He was making a decent amount of money, so didn't have a lot of credits. When they got married, all of those credits, gone. No longer eligible for the earned income credit. And we had to change some things immediately because even if you get married on December 30th, you're filing a joint tax return that year. And so this was a, about a three to $4,000 swing in their situation that we needed to plan for. All right. So guys, I have a feeling that we missed an awful lot, but you know, this being the, the show with the time constraints that it is, what are some of the important things you think we might not have gotten to just yet? I'm just going to throw in, I mentioned the issue about saving into retirement. So on retirement planning and tax planning, when you get married, if one person is contributing, say, 10% to their 401k and getting the full company match, but the other spouse maybe never made enough to contribute to their 401k, they might be missing out on a match. So when you're doing your budget, if you look and say, yep, we can only contribute 10% total, do five and five. So you're both still getting, or you're both getting the full company match. You know, that may be a good segue into one of the things I thought of as well. Um, I would encourage people when they're getting married, especially if it's a second marriage, you're older and maybe you've established a relationship with a financial advisor and so has your new spouse. Don't have his and her spouses, in my opinion. I, I think you need a single advisor who is, advocating for both spouses. Otherwise, if you have too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, something's either going to slip through the cracks because each advisor thinks the other's going to cover it or they're going to tell you or whatever, or there's duplication of efforts and maybe unnecessary expenses. So, um, you know, that example that you gave, Mike, where one spouse is maybe contributing more than enough to get an employer match and the other is not doing enough to separate advisors wouldn't be able to collaborate and come up with that. Yeah, Josh, we actually have, you have a client and I have a client that are getting married to each other this year. Yeah, so there's I an arm wrestling that. match. <laughs> That's interesting. Congratulations, That's guys. interesting. It, we had, Is there an office bet on this, Kevin? Played <laughs> there's no got to be a pool going, that. right? Can I get in on that? We played no part in that. That is funny. Yep. All right, so is there any uh, action items that people should take away from this, from today's show? Obviously, this is going to come up again. I assume that there's going to be some listeners that might be on the verge of getting married or recently married, like, okay, this jogged a couple of light bulbs here, but is there any action item they should take away from this? Yeah, for sure. One of the action items is to update your estate plan. If this is not the first marriage for both of you and you're not beginning, a lot, the first marriage, a lot of times people, two people come together and begin with nothing. But if it's a second marriage, there's likely things out there that people might want to protect for the children from their first marriage. And so, uh, that might be, I, I need to not only update my estate plan, but I might need to make sure that there's some sort of prenuptial agreement in place. I was always opposed to the idea of a prenuptial agreement. And uh, after my mother died and my father remarried, a prenuptial agreement made more sense because you say, well, if dad gets married on this day and dies the next day, 
everything dad and mom worked to accumulate goes to his new wife and either his new wife's next husband or his new wife's kids. And so you think, well, okay, so uh, a, a prenup is could could make some sense. Now, after a number of years, those usually get torn up and say, well, we don't need that anymore. The, the two have become one and, and we're together on things. So, All right. But yeah. for sure, update your estate plan. Very good. Good advice. So we've got some listener questions coming up. And again, we assume that there's probably some people out there maybe engaged, considering it, have somebody serious in their life who might be going, okay, I've got some questions about this. You can contact the guys at corehorn.com, Corhorn Financial Group. Again, that's Corhorn with a K. Or you can go ahead and go to wisemoneyradio.com, submit a question there that we'll look at answering in a future show. You can also give us a call and leave a voicemail at 574-222-2000 and leave your question there. I just have this uh, sneaking suspicion there's going to be a lot of people in this situation for today's topic who probably have a lot of questions heading into this that maybe didn't get answered today. Yep. We do have more listener questions coming up. Right? Well, not more, but we have listener questions coming up in the next segment right here on Wise Money with Corn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Wise Money deserves wise legal counsel. Powered by Ledoux, Curran, and Keene. On the web at lck-law.com. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Want to remind everybody, if you're looking for financial planning, go to corhorn.com. That is Corhorn with a K. And, of course, you can go to wisemoneyradio.com, submit a question on the website, listen to previous episodes, or you can give us a call and leave your question via voicemail at 574-222-2000. All right, so we're uh, near the end of the show, so we're in the last segment. We have listener questions. Stephanie from South Bend. My husband and I are saving up money to buy a house, hopefully in a year or two. Do you have any recommendations on where I should save this money? To me, that's a that's a delayed expense. So I would put that in a delayed spending category. If you've heard us before, talk about the three bank account system. The first bank account is your immediate spending. So that's checking. That's your monthly budget. The second account is for delayed spending. So those are expenses that you know are going to come up on the horizon, but they're irregular. They don't happen every single month. So you should be setting some money aside for them. And then that third bank account, that last one is for emergencies. That's your emergency fund. And so physically, those are three different bank accounts. For saving up for a house, that one fits in that delayed category. I know this expense is coming, but it's not coming every single month, and it's it's on the horizon, but it, it's not here yet. I would have, Stephanie, you open up a delayed spending account, or if you already have one, start throwing some money in that so it's outside of the checking, and there's no confusion over how much you have to spend this month and all of that, it, but it's segregated right there and, a, and an account that's still FDIC insured and safe there for you. Well, if you were to walk into a bank, uh, you know, on Monday and talk to your banker, say, hey, I need to set up a delayed spending. Unless they're a listener to this show, they might not know what you're talking Heck about. yeah, so. they're going to high five and say, wise money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, um, the, the type of account that we would set up for a delayed spending account would be like a money market or just some sort of a, uh, a savings account where you're earning a little bit of interest. But the point of this account is not to make you wealthy. It's to be squirreling away dollars 
that are on their way out of your hands. You know, they're they're going to that house purchase, hopefully in the two-year time frame uh, that, that you've laid out. If it's less than five years, then you are really saving. If it's greater than five years, that's when maybe you could consider some conservative investments. And I do draw a distinction. I, I like that you said uh, FDIC insurance on the savings vehicles. It's got to be liquid money that you can get your hands on. Don't get too bent out of shape about what kind of uh, investment returns you're earning on this money because that's not the purpose. That's exactly right. So we have Scott from Granger. I'm approaching retirement and I do not have a pension. Do you guys help build retirement income plans or how else could I figure out how to draw income out uh, out of out of uh, retirement, I guess? Uh, a couple weeks ago, we did a show about how to prepare for retirement, things you need to consider. And I said, of the top 10 lists that we walked through, that there were two that really stood out to me as the most important. The first is knowing your budget, so knowing how much you spend. And the second is having the right income plan to cover those expenses. So, uh, Scott, absolutely, we help people build, build retirement income plans. And as just a guide, I would tell you what I'd shoot for. Hopefully, you've got enough resources, your financial situation is structured well enough where you can have at least 80% of your income come from guaranteed sources. You don't have a pension. So at Corhorn Financial Group, we help build something called your personal pension plan. And we can help you build a pension plan for yourself, even though your employer didn't provide for one, and hopefully get you the right income you need. Now, this is more challenging today than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, because typical income investments or the tools people used to use for income now are either more risky than they should be because of where interest rates are. They're paying less than they should be because of where interest rates are. And so it's just more difficult. You're going to want a coach, someone to help you with that. So yeah, we build income plans for folks and we can help you shoot for that 80% level or, or more. Yeah. When you look at risk, one of the big risks of your retirement plan is longevity risk in that I outlive my money. And to Mike's point, he was saying how it's just not as easy as it used to be. In 2000, the 10-year Treasury note was at 6.2%. In 2007, it was at about 4%, and today it's at about 22 So if you observe the trend, things have come down significantly as far as what kind of earnings I can have on what I would consider to be a safe, stable, and predictable type of an investment. So your earnings capacity has been greatly diminished by interest rates going down. Great if I want to buy a house, but not so great if I want to take a pile of money and turn it into something that will generate income. So it's it's much more difficult. And if you're if in the back of your mind you think, well, it's easy because I can find CDs or these things in the I just looked this week CDs were at one point eight percent for a five year CD. And that's just not going to get you where you need to go. You will outlive your money. I'm smiling at Kevin right now. He told me a story last year. He had a new prospect, new client, give him a call, just sold a business for a lot of money and said, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to, I, I, I want to take this much money and you just give me something that pays 5% guaranteed. It's like, that's not, it's not, that doesn't exist these days. So interest Maybe rates are low. 10 years ago. Yeah. Interest rates are low. This is much more difficult. Get a coach, build that income plan. I think we talked about this last week. Like it used to be that, you know, if you had a windfall, like if you 
um, either sold something like that guy did, you maybe won the lottery, or maybe there was a death and you got an inheritance or something. You used to be able to take, like if it was $10 million, you put $1 million in a CD, keep rolling it over every 12 months, and you could live off of the profit from that CD, but you cannot do that anymore. Totally days. different climate now. All right, uh, we don't have much time. we got a couple of minutes. Bruce from Mishawaka, really good question. I'm interested in helping my grandkids at college at some point in the future. What are my options to set some money aside? It probably depends on how old your grandkids are. Um, you know, if, if they've got more than five to ten years before they're going to be heading off to, to college, um, you, you may be able to get into some growth-oriented mutual funds. That could be just a taxable account that you hold in your own name, and when they get to the school years, maybe you gift the money to them to help pay pay their way. Or it could be uh, proactively set aside into a 529 plan, something that we've talked a lot about on this show. If you live in Indiana, uh, we have a great, great plan at our disposal that actually gives you some really significant tax savings if you contribute um, to, to an account for your, your grandkids, your children, whoever. So it's something that you need to educate yourself on and maybe refer back to some of our other shows when uh, we could elaborate a little bit more. Yeah, I like the idea of the um, the 529 plan. The nice thing about that is if you have a couple of different grandkids, you can either set up a couple of different plans or just set up one plan and change the beneficiary. Again, it depends on their age and whatnot. And I think another place that you could do it, Bruce, if you're not currently funding a Roth IRA, you could use a Roth IRA. That's a that's a pretty versatile financial tool, and um, you can do some pretty neat things with that as well. All right, guys. Anything else that we need to get uh, get out there in relation to this show's topic, or are we think we think we're pretty good? It's a very broad topic. We know that we left a lot out, folks, and that's why that's why we have the uh, the website for you to submit questions. Yep. I think if you're going to get married, go to your church, get premarital counseling, make sure that financial counseling is a component of that, whether it's a part of your premarital counseling from your church, or you, you seek out the services of a financial planner. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank everybody for tuning in. Once again, this was Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If you want the services of Corhorn Financial Group, please go to corhorn.com. That is Corhorn with a K. If you would like more information about the show, you can go to wisemoneyradio.com, listen to previous podcasts, or submit your question online on our website. You can even give us a call and leave your question on our voicemail box at 574 222 2000. For Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory, I'm Casey Hendrickson. I want to thank you for tuning in to Wise Money with Corn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.